Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Not only are we going to light the fight, but we're going to razzle the dazzle too. <laughs> razzle the dazzle. That's a new one. We're going to put the chill and chill pill. I, <laughs> I, I could come up with 30 more, but let's not waste your time. <laughs> this is Light the Fight Podcast, and we are going to razzle your dazzle. And we're hopefully excited. after you listen to what we have to say, we'll put a little <laughs> extra chill in that chill pill. I'm David. I'm Heidi. And uh, we are Light the Fight Podcast, and we're here to help you with whatever you got going on in your life. As long as it has nothing to do with manly work, <laughs> fixing things, you're going to have to YouTube that. And um, Heidi, what, what do you suck at that we can't help people out with? Because I'm just putting it out there right now that there's a lot of things I can't help you this out with. This is not a nutrition or exercise. Not a nutrition podcast. or exercise podcast. Um, but if Even you, though I'm trying to eat you, nutritious food and exercise. Yeah. Well, since we're not doing Those video- are side lights. <laughs> since we're not doing video, if you could see us, you'd be able to see our eight packs- <laughs> Because we are ripped up in here talking about feelings yeah, all day long. That's right. We're good at this. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I got a haircut today. You know, I was going to so tell you. I kind of wish that we would be on video because I look good. Well, you do have hair for TV right now. I know. TV yeah, hair see ready. How good it looks. Usually, I come in here hat because Tuesdays we record on Tuesdays, just so you know. And Tuesdays are like a work day for me, like a creative day. And so I was. In the photography studio all day today, but I got my hair cut, and that's why I'm in such a good mood. You know, it does help out a lot, right? It does. So if we're going to, not if, but when we start video recording, we have to change the Tuesday night to a different night. <laughs> because I'll be honest, there's um, been a few nights where you came in here not TV ready. <laughs> I was like, have some pride, Heidi. You don't have to wear pajamas it's, here. It's most of the time, I would say. And they weren't um, like new like times. Halloween pajamas. <laughs> They were like probably from her college dorm rooms, holes in the knees. That's right. That's when I feel comfortable. That's true. Who am I to judge and shame? (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for joining Light the Fight. We're just, we're just, like I said, we're just putting some razzle in your dazzle. We're just talking some smack to each other and just joking around a little bit before we get in some deep stuff as we always do. Um, But let's talk about this past week. We we had some, uh, some cool stuff going on this past week and we have something cool coming up in the future. And like always, we want to give a big shout out to our community partners, 1-800-CONTACTS, because they make this boat float. Yep. And we appreciate it for sure. Much appreciation to them and gratitude. So like I always say, if your contacts suck, don't even think about it. Pick up the phone and press those numbers, 1-800, because then your contacts won't suck. That's right. Simple as that. And they're super, they're just nice people. Yeah, and I wish our podcast and our tools and our suggestions were as easy as their process to get good contacts. (laughs) You pick up the phone, you press the number, you talk to a nice person, they send them to you, problem solved. I mean, I think that fundamentally they're like a customer service company. Well, no, I know they make it look easy, but as a consumer, like imagine people listen to one episode of the podcast, they're healed of all their bad relationship, (laughs) communication problems, and therefore we didn't need to do any more episodes. That'd be so great. That would be amazing. Of course, we'd be charging $1,000 per minute to listen to the episode. <laughs> well, no, let's talk about the the past week. So this past week, um, we had a little dinner event, and it was called Dinner with David, but Heidi was there. It was there. a bonus. It was So maybe we should Heidi. call it Dinner with David and Plus One. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> yeah, you want to bring. Yeah. Dinner with David and Here, Heidi. Well, no, will here's the save thing. Him. Fundamentally, when David talked about let's do let's do this dinner and people can come and I'll answer questions, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised when she said I'm going to come. I'm like, do you realize if you show up to this dinner, you will be talking a lot to people at the end of well, a week? I, and- you know, as per usual, I was nervous. I was like, oh, I just you get nervous. 
I just don't know how this is going to look. We're not going to pass out a kit. We're not going to give them instructions. This this is not a controlled environment. So you're nervous sometimes looks really focused, like you're really just focused on something. So you do a good job of it, I just keeping was it like, tucked under. I think this is a great idea. I'm not going. <laughs> no, well. I mean, no, I just was like, here's the thing. When I do events for my crafting stuff, I know what time it's going to start, what time it's going to end. I know, ex- like, I pass out a kit. I know it's in the kit. I give them instructions. I know what size they got to cut stuff to. I know the steps we got to take. And I know what it's going to look like when we're done. And people are going to be happy and they're going to go home and they're going to get what they paid for. This was not that. So and you, you it like the safety the and the structure out of, of all me. those things being known. I like it a lot. Okay. Well, I don't... <laughs> ever do things that way <laughs> which why so i was having like i was trying to play it cool david well you did a good job i didn't even know because i thought in theory i think that i think that this could be a good idea number one because we were motivated i mean the reason why we were motivated yeah. to do this I had a is complete feeling me feeling horrible and guilty and shameful <laughs> And and this that's is a why, hard. That's thing. why I came up with the idea. This is a hard part about this podcast and about probably your real life. But your this podcast has magnified it yet. Yeah, we thought when we started this podcast, we're like, I wonder how long it's going to take before we just shut it down and just we just have people nothing else to listen. talk about. Yeah. We're running out of things to li- talking so about. So boring. Or like if I think we hoped people would listen, but we weren't really sure if people were listening. At that point, your goal was not like let me try to build my my clients. You call them clients, right? Clients, yeah, yeah, not yeah. patients. Um, it, you weren't like trying to build your client base, so that I could tell everybody I'm too big time to see you. <laughs> I don't have enough time. You know, I would see you, but I'm not taking new clients. So that was not my job to sound really important. That was not my goal when we started I mean, the podcast. Honestly, uh, the hardest part of you know, we get a lot of questions and we get a lot of things that definitely things that are hard. You know, um engage my empathy to read and things like that, but nothing quite like a mom who is just desperate to try to find somebody to help her, her child. And, and I know that David isn't, isn't available and I don't know anybody like David to recommend going anyway, blah, blah, blah. We, this idea was born out of necessity thinking, you know what, for the local folks, this would give, you, you know, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. It's better than no information. But I was still a little bit nervous for, and which is why I didn't call, I didn't ever say, well, let's make it dinner with David and Heidi. Because <laughs> basically, um, I was, I was not sure how I, how I felt about it. But then, mm. but I knew that, I, I mean, I knew I wanted to come, A, because I really, I'm still that parent that has the questions and wants to learn. And my FOMO would have not let me not come, frankly. <laughs> you're too curious, too much FOMO. All those things are pointing that yeah. you're going to be there. Additionally, you know, when you text me the night before and say, hey, I'm going to come, I was like, I think I said, I'm like, you realize what you're agreeing to do. Like, your night's not going to be normal. You're going to be fielding a lot of questions, talking to a lot of people. And so you're like, no, I know. I'm like, okay, just one. Yeah. And... So yeah, that's that's kind of how it went down. And um, I didn't ever look at the guest list, so I didn't know or the the list of attendees. Coming, I didn't have an idea. And it was it was interesting. There was a perfect number of people, though. It was um, a small group. I don't know how many. I did never count how many. Well, we had seventeen, 17 there, people. and I and I told our producer Brandon to um, only allow twenty tickets to be purchased. But it actually worked out, I think, 15, because it would be really... Numbers is a hard thing to anticipate when you're trying to have intimate conversations with people where you want everyone to get their chance to ask their questions. But we found out something really interesting. And I guess this shouldn't have surprised us, but everyone that came noticed this too, is that most people's questions were your questions. Right. Now, the details might have been a little bit different because obviously people had different backgrounds and different circumstances Mm -hmm. but the worries were the same the concerns the fears um a lot of people had similar reactions that weren't working and so they could 
listen to other people's fails and feel better about themselves that they weren't the only one. So all those things were great. I know for me, a big highlight of it, and we talked this about this before in the past, is that when we get to see our listeners face-to-face, now you become real to us. I know a couple of people said, wow, you guys are real. Like, it's the first time we've ever seen you. And we were like, we're seeing you for the first time too. Like, <laughs> At least they know what we look like. We have no idea what they look like. So to have them there... Think how that was kind of cool in a brave way. There's a couple very, dads. That came, I feel like it was very brave. And right when they walked in, right when they walked in the door, it was like, "Hey!" And they're like, "Oh, we do know you're the same people." I think that's the best compliment people could have given us is that they didn't feel like we were. It was like they listened to our podcast and then they met us in real life, and it was the exact same experience. It was right. nothing different. That really made me happy because. I've always been fearful of being a sellout my whole entire life. <laughs> I, I, I've known too many people I mean, that did not jiu- change for the better. Maybe in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You're a total I, jiu-jitsu sellout. Yeah. I am a, well, because that's because I'm always quitting because my, my, I made a glass. I'm always injured. But you know, I, I just always, for some reason, at a young age, said, I want to stay real. I want to be the same person that people always grew up with, just a more mature version of it. And so when people said that we were the same and they still felt connected to us and had a great time. That was so cool. You know, that was just, it was really cool for me. I know it was cool for you. And, you know, to see people talking afterwards with each other and making friends with people. Well, and that's what I was just going to say. It's interesting because, you know, we we walk in and and we were at a restaurant and we had this big table put together. So we're all sitting together at a table. And when everybody comes in, every I mean, people have come from all over the valley. Some people drove a couple hours away to get here. Yeah, like far. Yeah. And they're all kind of sitting there, and it's kind of that super uncomfortable, like, you don't even want to look at people because that might seem uh, rude or, um, you know, everybody was very uncomfortable. It was that Christmas party that you went to one friend, and none of the people there knew each other. They just all knew the person who threw the party. And they're all just kind of sitting there, um, and then the food came, and food, I I do love how food helps you talk, you know, like chatting while you're eating, and... um, by the end of the night, these people didn't want to leave. And um, they were hanging around, talking to each other, connecting, commiserating, which is, you know, what you do it's when you have the, teenagers. It's part of the process. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got kicked out of the restaurant. Well, we kicked ourselves out of the restaurant yeah. because we... We, we could have been there another room. hour yeah. in a blink of an eye. It and just was going by so fast. Then everybody stood in the freezing freaking cold outside the restaurant, like, shivering and, you know, still just wanting to talk and, and, those and are all great not wanting things. to leave. Because because the minute you connect and the minute you realize, you mean I'm not alone? You mean your teenager does that too? You mean it's not just my kid? You know, there's just such uh, just a, oh, Okay. All right, we're in this together, and maybe, maybe there's really not something wrong with <laughs> wrong with him yet or her. You know, there's maybe that maybe there's hope. Maybe well, there's. I I think you said it well while we're at the event, Heidi. I forget exactly how you said it, but you said something along the lines that, and it's a simple thing. That I think everybody kind of just knows, but it was good the way you said it. Where everyone there, um, we're all in a position where we want to change the outcome of our kids' behaviors, their lives. We want to protect them. We want to do everything we can to make sure we increase their probability of success. And every question was always a mirror looking at yourself, the way I answered it. And and I didn't mean to do it that way, but I think everybody left there realizing, and this is basically what you said, where you said that, you know, we have the ability to change how we handle the situation we can create a different environment. We just have to stick to it. We do have to talk to other people. We do have to share ideas. We have to be in a constant think tank, you know, reading the right books, listening to the right podcasts, and get a, get a sort of understanding that the things that we're doing on a day-to-day basis, that's what we need to invest in. Instead of investing so much time and effort in how do I get my kid to change, put more time and effort on some intricate details that you could change, then by nature, your kid would have to change. Like there's no there's no way they could act the exact same way if your response and the way you're handling difficult situation is now evolving. 
they're going to pick it up. I mean, they're going to evolve and they're going to pivot and they're going to move and they're going to make all the changes a lot faster if you go first. And that was really kind of the theme of all the answers that I gave. And when you pointed that out, it made me think about that too. I'm like, man, that's true. I mean, we all know we can only control our actions, like all those typical things you hear. But I think when you're dealing with a lot of parents who the problems sometimes not seem, but actually can be huge mountains that you feel that you can't climb. It's really easy to think, okay, what can I do to change my kids? And then you go through all the options and you're only left with, I've tried all that and I can't do anything. But to look at what can I do to change, that gives you a lot more options. Well, and and fundamentally, that statement, that truth is why we're sitting here. That is why we're, I... I was even even wanted to do this podcast because that was a hard lesson that I had to learn and and when those of you in those of all of us in any relationship realize that if there's if there's a snag in that relationship don't don't focus on the other person first anyway focus on you and and um every one of us as individuals has a lot of things we can we can tighten up well <laughs> Heidi just since you bring that why do you think you I've never been a parent of teens and it's odd enough that I'm the the expert here on the panel but I've never been a parent of teen so let me ask you a question why do you think it's so I don't know if it's you always talk about everything I talk about is counterintuitive Okay, let's reverse that. Why is it so intuitive to identify your kids' problems and think of ways that you can get them to change before you look at yourself? Well, I think that it's, I mean, I think that you're, you know what I'm going to say, probably. As like you always do in all questions that you ask. <laughs> no, I, I'm. I, th- by the way, this is not a leading question. I'm not trying to set you up. I, I actually want to know. I mean, I have no experience raising teenagers. I only have experiencing corralling them, keeping them safe, helping them mature and helping relationships with their parents. But I've never done it. I've never actually done it myself. Well, because actually your teenager, even though they're a teenager, you still treat them like a three-year-old and you do have a three-year-old and you know that you respond to what they seem to need, right? You they have a need and you your job is to meet that need whether you know on a on a young level it's getting them milk and changing their diapers and getting them clothes you feel your responsibility is to meet their needs the problem is do you really f- realize that they need you to have your crap together. That is what your kids need the most from you as a parent is for you to, to be, to not be a mess. (laughs) And and that's, that's a super generalized term right there because every one of us, um, in our lives, we go through stuff and you got to make decisions and you make good decisions and you make bad decisions and you, and then you got to live with them. Right. And I mean, I, I, I say that and I guess it, it's interesting. Um, it's so easy and, and there's got to be some physiological thing and maybe you'll even know the place in your brain where you process your own problems has to be a there has to be a different place in your brain where you process other people's problems. Like, I don't think those two processes are happening in the same place in your brain. Because if I, if you told me your problems or if, if you, you know, if I listen to a friend, we go on a walk, she tells me her problems, then so easily I can say, well, maybe you should do this and maybe you should do that. And take have care, you thought take about my this? advice. I'm not using it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I usually think sometimes. But then when it's you, you you just can't see it very clear clearly, right? And so I mean, I think that as a teenager, you're looking at them and you're wanting to solve their problems and meet their needs 
And you don't realize it. And this was an analogy that actually kind of came up at dinner with David is I said, you know, have you ever driven a car with a trailer on it? Um, kind of imagine that analogy for a second. Like when you're driving on the, on the freeway, you can feel it, right? You, you know, and, and then when you go into a parking lot, like the trailer bounces way more than the car bounces. And, but wherever it goes in the trailer, it doesn't, you know, kind of, it kind of has a little bit of a mind. It kind of needs extra space and, and whatnot. But when you go on like a dirt road or a windy road, the trailer's taking it way more than you are and you're driving. And so you don't feel like the bumps and all the things in the back of the trailer, but the trailer just gets dragged along, Right. And, you know, you always hear people that say, I get car sick if I sit in the back, but I'm fine if I'm driving, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. When you're driving and, and you're kind of in control and you see the, the obstacles and you know where you're going and this and that, th- then there's this sense of, okay, I'm, o- I'm okay because I can see it all. But if you were sitting in the back of a trailer and somebody's, just getting bounced around or following along, um, there might be a lot of questions and they might even get sick back there. And what, you know, as a driver, if you were really concerned about what the person in the trailer was feeling, you would probably be a little bit more cautious about where you're going, about how you're taking the bumps, about how you're turning things, right? I, I think about that because as a parent, you're kind of the one driving and, and you got this trailer, kids' trailers on the back. And if you want to think about it as like your oldest child is the one that's attached right to you. And then you've got a trailer on that one and a trailer on that one. Like by the end, that last kid is just getting bounced around. I think that that's why when we think to ourselves, okay, there's something wrong with my kid or I don't like how they're behaving. I got to fix that. When really, if you fix yourself, the way you're talking to your children, the way you're talking to yourself, the way you're handling things yourself, what you're modeling, all that, then the trailer, like if you get stable, then the trailer can get stable. But if you're making bad decisions or having instability and I mean, the, a perfect example is this. I'm a total night owl. Like, I might stay up till 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning working. But I'm trying to get my kids to go to bed at like 8. Because I know they've got to sleep. And you know they need to be in a good mood the next day, but you don't have to Right. Be. No, because right. I'm totally, it's totally normal for me to not be. Like, I'm used to it. It's different. <clears throat> and I've got these kids all of a sudden that are like 2 and 3 in the morning. They're still up and walking around and doing stuff. And I'm like. You guys, go to bed. And now pretty pretty soon it's like, mom, go to bed. <laughs> you know, like David talks all the time about that hypocrisy that is in parents. Like I can drink this drink, but you can't because I'm an adult. I can watch this movie, but you can't. I can use this language, but you can't. I can spend my money like this, but you can't. There comes a time where that, it just, it just catches up. And so, I mean, I don't know that I really answered your question, but if there's anything that I do believe very, very strongly is that our kids are watching with wide eyes what we do, what we say, how we do it. And if you even for one minute think that that's not molding their behaviors and their interactions and forming your relationship, then, you know, you're wrong. It is. No, you did answer my question. And I think there's something too, um, you'd mentioned that I wonder if there's a different part of your brain where you process your problems versus you try to make sense of your kids' problems. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. It made me curious, though, to, to look that up. And so I'll check that out. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think as you're saying that, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It's got to be different. 
because in our own brains, we tend to be more critical of ourselves at times. You know, everybody knows that saying, you are your own worst critic. But I also saw the opposite is true, that we also are, sometimes we we give ourselves too much of the benefit of the doubt. Sure. It's like, oh, well, I've had a long day. I've been grumpy. So if even if I was rude to that person, it's like, you know, it's, it's just because I had a bad day. I had nothing to do with them. Well, they don't know that. And so sometimes we minimize our role in things and sometimes we maximize our role in things. I think that's pretty much human nature across the board. But yeah, I don't know if it, where it gets in our brain processing different, but I think it is really cool that when we recognize that other people's experiences are theirs and our experiences are ours and we talk about that, I think we find commonality because most people do that. One thing that when you're talking, I started thinking about it is that um, I remember the first time I had a coach, it was a football coach. My complaint with a lot of my football coaches or just coaches in general, and um, I don't know, maybe some of the listeners out there, maybe, maybe you've thought this before too, is they ask you to do some hard things. Yeah, like extra push-ups. Yeah. And After if, you're already done. And if you're late, you got to run extra laps. If you're this, and so there's a lot of really strict rules um, for the team or for the individual. But I remember the first time I had a coach that actually said, I'm going to do these things with you. So instead of saying, you're going to run five laps, you're going to do this, he would use we. And then he would condition with us. Well, he was the only one that could pull it off. The other coaches were yelling at us and he wasn't yelling at us. He was instructing us and he says, follow me. This guy was in amazing shape. He never got out of shape from his playing days. All the other coaches, on the other hand, they spent more time at the pub and talking about the good old days, the Uncle Rico's. And this guy was a machine. And there was something about, and we all kind of just knew this, like there's something about that guy that we believed more. We realized that we weren't the experiment. He was experimenting and he was going first. So instead of him saying, I want you guys to do something that you don't think you can do, he goes, we're going to do it and I'm going to show you how to do it. And he just did it. We learned so much just by observing how he did things that what do you think happened to our respect for this guy? It went through the roof. He could be hard on us. He could yell at us. He could do some things but only because he was doing those things with us, right? He was, by the way, it's really hard to yell at a bunch of um, young men when you're out of breath too. <laughs> right. So he was so tired that he was like, at the end of it, he's like, whoa, he's high-fiving us. He went through a hard workout with us. Summer workouts is what I'm talking about. And he high-fived us, bump, chest bump and all this stuff. He was one of us. He was just the leader of us. Mm-hmm. I always remember that. that, and that, and that's that's huge. And I just want to interject one thing: like my memories of my grandfather and and my dad was that. I mean, it was always the first we work. That was our family motto: first we work, and and then we probably work more. But my grandpa loved to provide work for his grandkids, and so maybe that was like. It was digging up potatoes out of the farm. It was planting trees. It was building a new fence or or moving a wood pile or chopping wood, whatever. He never was like, all right, I want you guys to go out and chop all that wood. And, and I'm going to play Tetris. And sit down and like <laughs> drink play, lemonade yeah. or something, you, you know. He, he never sat while we worked. And so you can't stop work. You can't get out of it, you, you know, and... um. You know, if you ever wonder how to keep your kids on task, you work with them and not just leave them to, you know, mess around. But I think that even as a young person to see your coach being the old guy and just as as tough as you, that, you know, that's impressive. Well, it, it speaks volumes to leadership as a whole. Leadership requires a lot of things, you know, and I, I don't know if some people are born natural leaders. I, I don't necessarily think, I think we have to learn how to lead. Maybe you might have some personality traits about you in the way your family was and the role you played in your family that might have required you to lead at a younger age. But I don't know if anyone's born coming out the womb a leader, 
But certain circumstances and situations make it so that some people evolve that quickly. And other people, they would say, I'm not a leader, but then they find themselves in leadership positions and everybody's looking at them like, well, you better lead us, even if you don't think you're a leader. Mm -hmm. However you get to any sort of leadership position, and a parent is a leadership position, I think it's really... um, I think it's really paramount that if you want people to follow you, you got to give them a reason to want to follow you. If you want people to be inspired by you, you got to be inspiring, meaning you have to be doing the things that are going to inspire someone else. So in this case, our coach, uh, and this coach I'm thinking about, it was um, it was an all-star team I was on for the city of San Diego, and I was on my way from going from high school to college, so I hadn't gotten to college yet. But this guy was a, an NFL wide receiver. He'd been there, done that, and he didn't want to rob any of us of the experience, our, our own experience. Like He didn't want to tell us, if you don't do this, you're never going to get open. If you don't do this, we're wide receivers. Uh, like, you know, you get covered by DBs, like to get open to catch a pass. If you don't do this, you'll never be successful in college. You'll never make it farther. He wasn't telling us, he wasn't trying to scare us. He wasn't trying to do those things. He was saying, here's what you need to do. And if you find a better way to do it, let me know. And I'll try that. It was always, everything was open. There was always, here's the guidelines, but if we need to make some changes, bring it to me. So by him telling us if we were Instead of saying, if you don't like it, tough, which is what most coaches did, he said things like, hey, here's what we're going to do it, and here's what I want from you guys. I'm going to do it with you, so I don't want to complain that's too hard. If my old you-know-what can do it, you can do it too. There's no argument. We're like, gosh, he's kind of right. If he can do it, we're 18. We better be able to do it. But then after the practice, he'd say, hey, so you know, I want you guys to tell me what you guys thought. You know, you know, what did you think you did well? He kind of did his own version of highs and lows, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of it, he's like, all right, well, if any of you guys have any ideas of drills you want to do tomorrow that you think would help increase, so please let me know before practice starts. No one had ever asked me ever in my whole entire basketball, football career, what we wanted to do for the next day of practice. That boggled me, but in a good way. At a very small, minute level, he was teaching us how to be involved in whatever it was we're doing. And he was doing that by asking us to be involved. He wasn't telling us that our way was stupid and that we're just young and we don't know anything. He gave us every opportunity to weigh in. Now, some people talked and some people said things and some people didn't. I just think it reassured all of us that he was leading and he was asking for feedback and asking for criticism. And this topic came up a lot um, the other night at our dinner with David. Most parents wouldn't think in a situation where your kid is being hypercritical of you, to ask them to give you criticism. Now, just to clarify this, I don't tell people in the middle of an argument to say, oh, really stop. Um, I want you to tell me more things that you hate about me. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm what I am saying though is when there's not a fight, when there's not a dramatic situation, things are mellow and calm down, then go to your kids and say, hey, listen, I want you to give me feedback because how can I be a better parent? How can I be someone that you trust? Because if your parents say, if your kids say, I don't trust you, or all the things that they say negative about you, then you flip it on them saying, well, that's a problem. Obviously, I need to get better at that. So can you give me some feedback? Elicit feedback from them and tell them if there's something that they think that they can improve upon, write it down so they don't forget it. So you don't bring it up in a blow up argument all the time. You can bring it up to me when we're actually talking. Most kids don't even think that was an option for them to give their parents feedback. They think it's something that my parents can't handle it. If I tell them how I really feel, and then when you do say it, parents can handle it because they didn't see it coming. But as a parent, if you're asking for it, if you're soliciting it, saying, please come bring this to me, then they don't see it as they're going to actually ruin the relationship because nine times out of 10, if a kid thinks or a teenager, a kid thinks that their parent can't ha- handle something, they hold it in, they hold it in, and then boom. It explodes. And when it explodes, it's more hurtful. Yeah. It mixes in things of the past that aren't even relevant to the argument. It brings up a whole lot of, well, when I was five, you did this to me. And then when I was 10, and like Pandora's box just goes wide. But when parents take the initiative and say, I'm going to go try to get this information from my kid, it totally changes the dynamic of the relationship. You know, that actually just kind of another little light bulb moment for Variety. You know, I think about how many surveys I get from companies that I that I do business with, right? 
Seems like a lot of them. Somebody, some companies actually try to give you incentives, discounts, oh, free yeah. stuff. Everywhere. I mean, you can't even go to Smith's without them saying, and if you take this survey, you can win this. And I mean, it's every restaurant, it's every grocery store, it's every online purchase. They want a survey. And why is and, that, Heidi? Well, here was my light bulb moment, is that we keep talking about our family being a fam, like a family business, like like... So sorry, when I have to process, when I have to have a light bulb moment, it's hard for me to speak and have a light bulb moment at the same time. But all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, we need a light the fight family survey that people can take <laughs> and give to their, ooh, I just hit the microphone, sorry, that we can give to your, your family and say. Brandon, you write that down? You know, what is okay. what do you wish was better in our house? Do you wish our house was cleaner? Do you wish we had more home-cooked meals? Do you wish there wasn't? It's got to be anonymous too. Crap right? no in the garbage. Like Checkbox list. Because <laughs> like, wait a second, this kid can't write the words. We know that's our five year old. <laughs> As I list off all no, my actually, issues. No, actually, keep going. This is a great idea. Keep going. I love it. I mean, I'm I'm wondering to myself like, and and this came up at dinner with David, where this mom is, and and you said, ask your ch- your child to give you some feedback. And she says, well, actually, I've done that before. I've said, what can I do better? And the kid was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You, you know, they don't know. They're not a mom. They don't know what to tell you to do better. And usually when you're at, and I told her when you're asking that, it's probably not the best timing. True. But when is a good time? I, I mean, and so that's why I'm like, and I just sort of put this together as we were just sitting here, is when when I take Connor to the doctor's office, they actually ask Connor to fill out a survey every single time. It's about his emotional stuff. It's about his physical stuff. And he yeah. fills out this little survey and they record his answers every single time. And sometimes I'm surprised about what he answers. And so I, I just thought for a second. I'm thinking like, of when me and my wife went to marriage counseling when we first got married. We were filling out the survey and I'm like looking at the survey and I keep on looking over at hers to see. <laughs> I'm like, number five, I'm like, what is she answering on that? <laughs> oh, crap. She's most dissatisfied <laughs> they, and they, I'm They most weren't very <laughs> organized. They shouldn't have had two couples sit next to each other and fill it out in front of each other. Anyways, you may proceed. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm wondering, and I'm not talking about just one child. I'm thinking about your whole family. Like, I think this how is would you have a survey and say, what do you think needs to be better? Do we need to be more tolerant? And then when you look at the answers, does everybody think we need to be more tolerant in our family? Or is it just one person that thinks we need to be, you know, like. Well, I, I First of all, I think this is a great idea um, for all those listeners out there. Um, if you've ever thought, and if you haven't thought this, this is fine. But if you ever thought like, where does David come up with all this stuff? Like, because it seems as if like I'm just pulling stuff like a rabbit out of the hat. <laughs> well, here's where it happens. I'm talking to a mom, much like I'm talking to Heidi right now. And then I say something and then the parent will have a light bulb moment and they're like, this is something maybe I should try. And I go, huh, go try it. You be the experiment. We're asking our kids, why don't you experiment with your life and you try to see if it works and we're just going to sit back and if it works, great. If it doesn't, well, then you're in trouble. Instead, why don't we take the experiment? Like, why don't we go first? And so that's how I come up with all these tools, all these things, trusted relationship with parents and families or teenagers throughout the year. And then I say, all right, well, go try it. And then they go, really? go, yeah. They go, do you think it'll work? I'm like, we're about to find out. I don't think it'll hurt it more. They come or they try it. They come back. They give me feedback. We tweak it. Next thing you know, 20 years later, I'm talking on a podcast about (laughs) stuff that I forgot about. So my point is, I like what you're saying. This is how this information comes up. Like I always say, connection creates the best innovation. Um, I think if, not if, I think this survey should encompass um, a couple different categories. Um, And this is going back to my days of family systems and certain ways of looking at families, um, just studying about this type of stuff. There are very important, so families are the most important social group to your survival because they're the social group that you're born into and then the social group that you depend upon survival at the years where you cannot do survival for your own, aka when you're a young child. So most animals, I mean, by the time they're one, they're self-sufficient. Humans, not so much. So this, this survey should encompass a lot of different categories, like one social. So really this is a survey 
to create um, a, a 2019 and 19.0 version, like me and my last name's Kozlowski, like this be the 19.0 Kozlowski family, you know, uh, survey, objective, plan, whatever you want to call it. And on this, there should be a category for social. How do you think our family measures up socially? And I don't mean like, are we, basically what I mean by this is that, is our family accepting of other people? And that could be other races, other religions. Um, it, it could be, uh, what are our viewpoints on things that are happening in the world? Now, you're not getting into politics per se, just blanket statements. And with certain kids of a certain age, you might put certain questions on there. And other kids, you might just have some basic questions. But social is a really big thing to ask your kids. How do you view your family? How do we fit into your social construct? Are we socially accepting of other people? Do you bring a friend over here that looks or dresses different than us? Do, do you feel like we're accepting? Do you feel like we're judging? Those types of things. Mm -hmm. Next thing would be more internal. Um, our communication style. You know, our, you know, or is our family more of this communication style? And you could even do the like, where they do the one to five, like never, sometimes, always, you know, like you kind of do those different shades right. of it, you know, <laughs> to make it a little bit so it's not yes or no, black or white, true or false. Um, then it, it could go to um, what are some things that you think that as a family we could improve upon? Um, you could do with communication, um, health. Uh, we've talked a lot about it and I talked about it the other night at the dinner. I get, I'm pleasantly surprised quite often how much kids are worried about the physical, psychological, mental, and emotional well being of their parents. Mm -hmm. Parents rarely ever have that thought cross their mind that their kids are worried about them. Now, when their kids do say things that they're worried about them, it touches the parents deep to their heart. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not good at hiding it as I thought I was. But what do we normally do as parents? We try to reassure and comfort our kids. We're fine. It's okay. We're all, we're thankful that our kids are concerned about us, but we quickly want to pacify their concern because we're the parent. They shouldn't be worried about us. That's actually entirely wrong. We are in charge of making sure that they survive. And if we're not doing that good, if we're stressed out, if we're living our life in the red, well, they have all the reason to be worried about us. Because who do you think is going to pay for our downfall or for our crash? They're going to be the ones that feel it. They, Their wagons or their trailers are hitched to our car. Mm -hmm. they're going to feel all the bumps of our hardships in our life. If you're having financial problems, if you're having marriage problems, no matter what physical you know, health problems, they are going through it with us. So there is no separating our families from us. So why not get information from our families so that we can start having conversations that are needed to be had and we can start seeing from their perspective? Because if we're not opening up to a system where they get to weigh in on the family, then they're not a part of the family. They're an employee of the family. And that just doesn't feel good to anyone. Well, and a few minutes ago, you said something like, if you want them to follow you, you better give them something to follow, basically. You, you know, yeah. but what Instead of saying, parent... hey, you go out and try these things to make us look good and for me to be happy, or you could just go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. If they're struggling socially, well, then you put yourself in some awkward, uncomfortable situations. It's hard for me to do what I'm about to say right now in podcast. I'll just say it real quick. But what I do with people when I'm counseling them, it takes a while. So there's, I'm giving you guys the sh quick actionable tools, but some things, it takes a long time to, to figure out this whole entire process. So one thing that, that I've learned over time is that if your kid is struggling with something like, say, like depression, or anxiety, and it makes them feel uncomfortable, have them talk about how they feel uncomfortable, what it's like to be in that situation. And then you pick something in your life that mirrors that. It could have nothing to do with what they're going through. One mom did this. She said she's been working in this company for like 15 years. She never asked for a raise. She never asked for a promotion. She's just kind of always magically hoping they'll give it to her. Problem is that she did her job so good, they don't think anyone else can do it. And so she just is stuck in the same position. They're not going to give her another position and risk that position falling apart. And she's not asking for more money. She's a perfect employee to them. Well, she said she's too scared. She's too embarrassed. It was pretty much similar to what her daughter was talking about, about going up and making new friends. So what I encourage this mom to do, and she actually did, she said, you know what, sweetheart? I'm a hypocrite. 
Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go out and make new friends. I don't want you to do anything like that, that we've been talking about in your counseling until I go first. So her big nag at her daughter was, she was one of the girls that would stay at home on weekends. She would call her teenage friends and try to set up play dates. <laughs> she would try, and here, luckily for this girl, people liked her. She just didn't like herself. So people wanted to hang out with her. People would stop by the house, try to get her out. So she was like, I'm going to get you out. Ma. You're going to face your fears. You can't live like this. What do you think it's going to be like someday when you're in a job? By the way, she was using analogies that depicted what she wasn't doing in her own life as a mom. So she said, fine, I don't want you to work on any of those things because the daughter was kind of slowed about it until let me face my fears first. Man, we saw some cool things happen. When she saw her mom going through those things, her mom asked for a promotion. Her mom found out that she wasn't getting a promotion and her mom got mad. And then after her mom got mad, her mom said, hey, listen, I want to let you guys know um, I have a couple of job interviews at other places or uh, job opportunities they offered and that did happen. She said, I'm considering taking these. Oh, her company flipped out. They made her a counter offer, gave her a different position. Her mom was like, I should have done this years ago. Mm -hmm. She didn't teach her daughter anything. Guess what her daughter did? Ding, she got it. She knew what she wanted. She knew that she was scared of it, but then she also realized she didn't want to be like her mom and wait 15 years to get it. But since her mom faced her fears, she went also. It was just so cool to see how much, like you said, Heidi, how much our kids, they got eyes on us. They're watching. Are we full of it eh, or are we legit? Well, they want to know, are we willing to put our own skin in the game sure. and lead? Or are we just going to tell them you be the experiment? Because it's a whole lot easier because they're not putting any risk out there except for hoping that their kid works it out. And if they don't work it out, well, then they'll help them figure out something different. But if you lead first, you know, people say lead by example. In this case, you find ways to show your kids that you're going to work through your struggles, whatever it may be. Hence, asking them for uh, a family assessment like this. From my experience, it does, not only does it do miracles, it just creates a whole different thing from I'm trapped by my family to now I'm influencing my family. Right, which which would be which would be huge. So just, I just want to go back when you said, like when you were talking about, you got to be a leader for your kids. You got to be a leader in your family. And I think... I mean, I, I know that when your kids turn into teenagers and you start like throwing up your hands, like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't be the leader because I don't know what to do. There's definitely this place where you're like, they're obviously not following me and I don't know what to do. I think that that's when you have to own that you don't know exactly what to do or that you have to own that maybe there's something that's not exactly right. That that's, you know, own that you've been a judge judgmental. Own that you've been a hypocrite or own that you're being Whatever that is. Well, if you're asking them to give you suggestions and ideas how to better yourself, you're owning that you need to be better. Right. And I think that there's also, there can be limitations, obviously, on, you know, you don't want your kid to say, I think you'd be better if you come smoke some pot with me. Right. Like, <laughs> well, if they say that laugh, you know, okay. Uh, anyways, moving on. So seriously though, um, I would need you to point out some things that, you know, I, you know, I could work on in our relationship, you know, that's different. You got to learn to roll because you're right. They, teenagers, especially, I mean, kids can say some things too. Some families have a, a kid who's gifted with sarcasm at a very young age. <laughs> right. Um, so it doesn't matter what age he is, but whatever they say, roll with it. But Taking I'm, criticism is something you have to practice. Nobody is, like I said, if for sure. maybe we're not born natural leaders. Well, definitely we're not born, born being able to take criticism well. That's a skill that we have to acquire over time. Well, and you've said this a number of times. If you, as a parent, want to influence your child, you have to let them influence you. And Well, they got to influence you first. It's right. the definition of power is the ability to influence someone. And so this, like having this family assessment, finding a way to let them say, well, mom, I don't like it when you're yelling at me on Sunday morning or, you know, I don't like the way you wake me up. Or, you know... I don't like the way you talk to me in front of my friends or, you know, I, I don't know what, 
I, I don't know what it is because, you know, my kids never give me criticism. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you're, you're, you know, 20-year-old, 21-year-old now, young man that came home for a mission. I'm sure he has no suggestions or ideas. So it wouldn't help if you ask him to give them to you. Well, all I can say is that if you are going to get bold enough to ask, you better just gird up your loins for... Well, yeah, because you're for some truth, man. Don't throw that out there half heartedly because they've yeah. been waiting for you to ask that question. Yeah. When you ask that question, they know instantly. <coughs> they know instantly they went from the kids' table to the big kids' table. Which now every the, kid wants to be at the big kids' table. Everybody wants to be at the big kids' table because what they realize is that there's a certain amount of survival information that is at the big kids' table that when you're on the little kids' table, you're not privy to information of the real world. You're you're in a in a like a little bit of a vacuum. You're in a bubble, probably a better way to say it, where you're protected from real information. And as soon as you get old enough to know that, wait a second, they've been hiding things that they know from me. Then you start to get curious. Then you want the real information. Hence, that's why I use the example sitting at the big kids' table. But if your parents are saying, hey, listen, I want you to weigh in on our family. I like the assessment a lot better where it's something that they can write down because if you open up Pandora's box and you throw it out there hard, half-heartedly because you heard it on Light the Fight, you're like, well, David said to just ask them what they don't like about me and you're not ready for that onslaught of things that happen. Um, or let's say they don't want to give you information so you push and prod and then you piss them off enough. They go, fine, I'll tell you what I don't like about you. <laughs> right, Again, that, those that, aren't going to usually that, turn out so well. But if you give them a place where they can do it and they can just turn it in later, they have that freedom to keep it anonymous. They don't have to tell. Well, here's my PTSD for surveys. Um, many years ago when I used to go around traveling and teaching scrapbooking classes, um, I worked for this company called Creating Keepsakes and they did something called CKU, Creating Keepsakes University. And we would teach mass amounts of classes and students <clears throat> in a year and and I would teach my class and then that company would pass out a survey and it was it was a one to five thing like you said and and um I'll tell you what I mean I put my heart and soul into these classes like I I tried to be fun I tried to be animated I, I tried to make sure the value was there they were getting the value for the money I was trying to get as much as I possibly could into that amount of time I gave it everything I had. Every class I've ever taught. That's how I that's how I felt. I wanted to exceed expectations. Without fail, I would get at least I would get one person who would just shred me on that survey. And you know what? I would go to bed and there might be I might get 500 surveys that night. I would go to bed and not be able to sleep because of the one person that didn't think that I made use of time or didn't think I was organized or didn't think I taught with a, you know, a, a natural flow or, or whatever it was. But I worked off of what I, I was told to do better. Like... You, you know, you're never going to become better at what you're doing by being told you're doing a pat, you know, patting you on the back, right? I think that it's very brave to ask your family what you could do better and, and knowing going in that it is going to activate every ounce of shame because you already know, probably. If families were paid for their kids' progress, their their ability to successfully launch their kids, get them off into successful relationships, and there was actual money given to you for doing that, we would run our families a whole lot differently across the board. Let me, let me tell you why. One thing that you just mentioned is a glaring obvious one to me. Find me, and I, I'll just stick at the professional level since I'm using a paid thing. Find me a professional sports team that does not record every single thing they do. And then they meet about it. There's then stats the, about stats. The coaches review this the film. Then they take notes on everything. Then they bring it to the players. And then they take notes on everything. They grade you out. 
Did you grade on this? Did you? They dissect every single thing you do and don't do down to the umpteenth degree. Why do you think they do that when that much money is on the line? So they can win. So they can get better. So they can hold people accountable. I don't know. Because that's what they get paid on. All those things, you know, <laughs> all those things are, are are correct and accurate. But their ability to provide for their families and survive is solely based upon their performance. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be a lazy coach and make it a profession. For sure. It's hard to be a lazy player. There are not many players at the NBA that cannot go to practice, do their own thing, don't work out, don't take it serious, show up and be the best. That person does not exist. NBA coaches, NFL coaches, college coaches, they can't just sit around and go, yeah, you know, it's kind of be lackadaisical about things and, and expect to win. That is not a, a, an equation that works out for anyone. So when I when I use that example of what would it be like, or I think it'd be much different if we actually got paid for our kids' success. No, don't get me wrong. That could be another problem in itself. I'm just using this example. <laughs> I think it, it's very telling what, what we just said. In professional sports, to make the big bucks, you got to win. And to win, you have to be detail-oriented. But then you got to be able to recruit your family members, David. You would have to be able... To pick them. <laughs> my my just, point just kidding, being, just kidding, my point being is, if they're watching everything on film, then that means they're listening. In fact, part of their growth process, one of the big, the most mandatory part of their growth pro- growth process is analyzing every single thing that they do to make sure they're not missing something. Feedback is everything. Feedback is everything. So with us as in our own families. The same thing is very important. We did an episode a while ago, um, and we talked about it at our dinner the other night about video journaling. And Don't bring it up. <laughs> and, and for some reason, those of you who haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to the podcast. I won't explain the whole entire video journaling thing. But the reason why I kept on talking about that at our dinner the other night is because if you're watching how you sound, how you look when you're talking about heated conversations. So by the way, video journaling is basically you taking your phone and you're recording yourself talking out loud about your highs, your lows, whatever it is you're going through versus just having conversations in your mind or even just writing it down on a piece of paper. You're seeing what you look like. Visual feedback. Yeah, You're you're seeing visual feedback. You get to see, so let's say you're talking about how mad you are at your son and you're talking in the video about how pissed off you are at your son. Well, now you get to watch that video and you get to now see what you look like when you're talking to your son because that's what your emotions does. It makes everyone ugly when they're extreme anger, frustrating emotions. You don't look like your intention is to help them. You look like your intention is to blame them. And sometimes we do just flat out blame our kids. The, the point I'm trying to get is that when I was in graduate school, we had to do this. So you talked about those surveys that you didn't like, right? Well, imagine being in graduate school, training to be a professional counselor, having never counseled anyone before, and you have to counsel people on video camera with other people watching you. Right. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. But I found out really quickly in my first counseling session that was being video recorded I was more scared to watch myself try counseling for the very first time than I think I was. I was never scared of any football game that much. I I was never scared of any sporting activity or event in my whole entire life the way I was scared of that. And I always had nerves before games. But the reason why is I'd never done that before. I never got to watch. I want. I was spending all this money to become a professional. I wanted to be great. People told me I was going to be a great counselor because at the time I was working with teenagers on more of like an online counseling where I'm like a crisis counselor. I wasn't like doing therapy per se. And man, when I watched myself and I watched my body language and I watched all the stupid little kinks and corks in my facial expression stuff, I wanted to slap the crap out of that guy in the video. <laughs> I couldn't get, I couldn't wait for a second chance because I'm like, I can't go out like that. I'm better than that. Now, there was also another part of me that wanted to give up and get out of school Fortunately, they had you do that at the very end of your degree. So it was like, you're already there through graduate school. Might as well finish it up because it was painful. It was really, really painful. And by the way... Well, David, most people don't even like to hear the sound of their voice on their their voicemail recording. 
I mean, we just don't really well, love to hear ourselves. Well, you've said that about the podcast, so let's use you as an example. It's How true. much do you hate to listen to yourself in the podcast? I don't enjoy it. But how often do you have to listen to the podcast, otherwise you're not going to get better? Every, every time. Well, I listen to it because then I'm sort of also afraid of what I actually said. Because well, I kind it, of forget. So it has a dual, <laughs> triple meaning for you. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like there's no way if you want to get good at something, there's no way you can hide from the painful realities well, of your mistakes and expect to get good at it. My gosh, speaking of like... I, I can't even go back and listen to those first and I and we keep telling people go listen to the first four you make sure you gotta make sure you listen to those first four or five episodes and you guys it's painful. I'm sorry. I should just say sorry to everybody. Imagine if they would have heard the first four that we had to burn oh my and gosh. get rid of before we actually started. I know, because the stuttering and the emotion like it was really hard. But this process has made me a lot better. The feedback, the talking about it, the healing. It's, 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 I'm not saying I'm awesome. I'm just saying that. Well, you suck a lot less. I suck less. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's a win. Yes, that's a win. It. I'll take it. Yes, that's a win. I, I, you know, we kind of just freestyled today and, and went off the cuff, but I, I, I think that the things that stuff we talked about I today. I want to really think about that family survey thing. And, but that's what I'm saying. What I'm we talked really... about today, I I'd never even thought of doing that, but right when you started to say it, dang, I was like, I get it. Like, and that's why I told everybody her talking about this right now, coming up with the family survey. This is how I created all this crap throughout the years. Yeah. There had to be a necessity. What's the saying? You know, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah, it, there had to be a need for it, and so because of that, you guys are now going to get the chance very soon to download. Um, uh, a survey, a, f- a family survey, and we'll figure out hopefully something funny to call it or something so it's not too lame. You know, <laughs> well, we don't want to be too cheesy. You know, all things considered, today, tonight on on this episode, um, I felt like, like I said, going into dinner with David, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I was afraid it would be a little out of control, or. I mean, it would be out of control. Like, there's no way to control it or manage it. I didn't know what to expect. It was fantastic. It was absolutely, it exceeded. Probably the most natural thing we've done, huh? It exceeded my expectations. It it was awesome for me to listen to. You continued to surprise me, even with some of the responses. Um, or not, when I say surprise, it's just that whole counterintuitive, like, boom, just when you thought you knew. <laughs> um, you don't, but, um, I do hope that we'll do it again. And having done one, I think that I saw ways that I would, I would want to just improve upon it. And I also saw ways that I think it would be amazing to be able to make it into some way that we could record it or some way that people could listen in, even if you couldn't yeah. be here. Um, because even though everybody Every single person got it. Did everybody ask a question? Almost everybody. Got There's to a couple ask a people question. that said their questions got answered. Someone else asked their kind question, of, yeah. and so they're like, "I'm good. I got everybody, my question." Everybody could relate to every single question. You, you know, nobody's asking like questions that involve so much detail, and so there needs to be a way because I think as parents we need to know that we we aren't alone. We have the same questions. We have the same struggles. Um, and so it was an awesome experience. So for those of you who are local um, in Utah, we are going to do another dinner with David. We're going to try to do one every month. Um, and but apparently we already have 15 seats reserved. Yeah, that's what they said. They said, please don't talk about this because we want to come back. <laughs> um Anyway, so stay tuned kind of for that. And um, and. You know, we would love your feedback if you, you know, have thoughts or ideas about how we could maybe make it accessible to you, no matter where you are, no matter where you're listening from. Um, and incidentally, you know, it was interesting, always interesting to listen to see how people had heard about the podcast. Um, there were two people that I knew personally, didn't know they were coming, wound up knowing them personally. And everybody else had learned about the podcast from a friend, from a coworker, from a family member. Uh, and so once again, I just have to thank every one of you who are listening and telling people about this. Um, 
it is my, I want to say the word hope. I'm going to just say the word hope because that's, it's just true to me. <laughs> it's my hope that this information reaches the people who need it, who are struggling, who are afraid, who are going to bed with sick stomachs and not able to, to sleep and who are worried about their kids and don't know where to start and don't realize the power that they have within them to create change in the family, the power that they have to be influenced. I hope that this information will reach them and it can and it will through you. So please share this information um, if if you like it and you, if you find it helpful. If you don't like it and you don't find it helpful, please don't share it. And uh, <laughs> and a final reminder, um, thank you for that, Heidi, and a final reminder, um, we've got a couple days left before our event, and do we have one seat, two seats left? Two seats. So we, we have we have a limited capacity just for the intimacy of what we're talking about. Um, we do have two seats left, and then after those two seats are booked, we're completely full. We we sold out last time. In fact, we oversold because two people flew in and crashed we our party. Have, we might have. <laughs> we had oversold last time. Minute. Yeah, but just want to let you guys know if if you've been sitting there thinking about coming and or you've been waiting to see if you have a friend that can come with you, um, just want to give you one last final reminder that um, we only got a couple seats left. Yeah. So we would love to see you there, and um, we would love to see you in the future. We're hoping to take the dog and pony show on the road sometime soon. Um, as always, you guys, thank you for listening. You can send us your feedback. If you already have created a survey from your family, please email it to me so that I can um, survey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with something, and then I'll let you revise it. <laughs> well, as promised, we delivered. We gave you some razzle to your dazzle. We gave you the light for your light box. Want me to keep on going, Heidi? Any other crafting terms I could? Uh... Glitter. Yeah. I just add glitter. That's you know pretty much gives everybody PTSD. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you guys for listening, and until next time, light the fight.